hands up if you know the eight verses to hang your life on off by heart. <sighs> Come on. Karen, she's got it in front of her, so she's got it there for you. Um, for those of you who are guests uh, with us today, uh, we've been working through this uh, series called Verses to Hang Your Life On. Uh, you would have grabbed one of these as you came in, and we've got nine of them. We're going to do the ninth today. We've done eight up until this point. Uh, what we've been trying to do is to help us get the Bible into here so that it comes out here. Uh, I reckon that a lot of us can sing songs that we know up here and we can sing them here, but how many of us know the Bible up here so we can speak it here? Uh, so what we've been trying to do is to encourage us to have these in our heads so that at times when God brings up opportunities for us, we can speak them to people about how good God is to us. And so we've had eight so far verses to hang your life on. We're going to go through them together with you this morning. We're going to do uh, repeat after me because, again, we don't want to be completely embarrassed that people haven't got them all known. Uh, but have them in your head. And now this, you've got one of these now. Stick it on your toilet door or your toilet wall. And when you're in there, go through them, memorise them. If you go to Rhonda and Alan Kavanagh's place, those who know them, uh, we did this in 2006 and this scrappy bit of paper is still on their door in the toilet. Six years later. Uh, and it's really helpful to memory wise. Uh, there's uh, different ones because we did, six, we did uh, nine different ones six years ago. Uh, but here's one for us, alright? So let's go through them together. Let's remember them, have them in our minds. Uh, because not only are they good to have in our minds, but they actually give us the picture of the Bible. In a sense, they give us an overview of the Bible if we remember these as well. So I'm going to click them up on the screen for you. Uh, but who can tell me what the very first... Oh, you've got them in your hands. Genesis. <laughs> so much for trying to help you with that. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let's say that together. So God created man in his in image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you're really going to work at this, how about you can, if you think you know them, close your eyes, don't look at your sheet, and don't look up there and see if you can say them with us. All right, the next one is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now, we summarised this and brought it down to something that's a little bit easier to remember, but it's basically the overview of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 1 to 20, 27 tells us who we are. We've been created by God. We are not junk. God has made us. Um, Jack and Gwen's. Uh, story they took out west was about that. Uh, and Genesis chapter 12 then sets the program for the rest of the Bible. This is what the Bible is about. This is what God's on about. So let's say it together. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is God's people in God's place under God's rule to be a blessing to the nations. That's what God wanted to do. That's what he wants to do. He's continuing to do that now. Uh, and he does that through the servant king. Isaiah 53, 6. Let's say that together. Uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sing it. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. Isaiah 53.6. I know that's not on there, but uh, you just can't help saying it, can you? Uh, I'm noticing a few people not looking at the screen, not looking at their sheets. Well done, people. Good work. All right, let's go for the next one. It was Mark 10.45 where we find out who the servant king is, it's Jesus. And this is what he came to do. So, let's say that again. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. For you and I. He gave his life for us. He 
gave us his life for the world and that's the message you want to take, don't we? And he doesn't stop serving us, he's still serving us now as he intercedes for us with the Father. It's amazing stuff. Uh, and if we know that Jesus has done that, then we want to set our sights on him. So Matthew 6 verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Set our sights on Jesus. Seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. That's what we're to be on about. Uh, and then Romans 6.23, as we saw, that we are to choose either way of that, uh, cake or death. Uh, life or death is what we're on about. Those that don't know what the cake or death one is, the people who are here for that sermon know what that's about. Um, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the gospel in a couple of verses, isn't it? A couple of verses. Okay, next one, week seven. Uh, if we trust in Jesus, if we keep our eyes on him, if we're seeking him, if we've chosen to live for him, then we want to be transformed like him. And to do that, we have the spirit within us and we have the fruit of the spirit within us uh, to conform us into that likeness. The fruit of the spirit, all those things are Jesus. That is his character. That is the character that we desire to have and we have that in us through his spirit. And so we can be transformed to be like that. Uh, and they're the ones that we want to be. 5.22, Galatians 5.22-23. And notice it's fruit, not fruits. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not that you have all these little things out there. This is it. This is what Jesus does through us, through his Spirit. He conforms us to be like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against these things. There is no law. That is one I haven't quite got myself yet, but we're working on it. There's nine parts of that, isn't there? Nine sides to an amazing shining light. Uh, and then last week we saw that, uh, that if we're going to be like Jesus, then we can have the confidence that life is Jesus and death is to be with Jesus. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? This is a fantastic verse. This will be our life verse if you could have it. Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is so easy to say, isn't it? But it's transforming if we want to live it. And we know it in here. Special verse, isn't it? So this week we're going to go on to the last one. And you've got it down the bottom there, Romans 8.28. Uh, we're not going to do that right now. In a sense, we're going to read it out. But we're going to uh, look at the Bible together and have a look at Romans 8.28. Uh, Romans 8, I think, is a passage in the Bible that I would have to say is probably my favourite passage in the Bible. Uh, if, you were to be, if I was to be marooned in an island and there was just one page of any book in the world that I'd have, Romans 8 would be the page that I'd love to have. Uh, you could spend your lifetime just delving into that, pulling it apart, uh, looking at it and experiencing what God does through Romans chapter 8. It does pull just about everything together within that one chapter. Uh, so if you get a chance, if we're going to be looking at the last part of it today, uh, if you get a chance, go home and just spend some time looking at Romans chapter 8 and just enjoy and experience what God has done through Jesus and uh, the amazing uh, transformation that brings and what it is for our lives. So this is what we're going to be looking at today, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through to 39. We're going to be probably only spending most of our time in the first three verses today. Uh, and Ron's going to come up and read that for us, Ronnie Finant. And he's going to read Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through to verse 39. It'll be on the screen, but have your Bibles open as well. That'd be great. 
I must say that um, the first Bible study I ever attended uh, many years ago was in Ballina, and it was the Book of Romans. It took us 12 months to get through it. And uh, like Paul, I suppose it had an incredible effect upon my life for chapter 8, and we've often discussed it, haven't we, Paul? Mm-hmm. It, uh, well, I found it as outstanding. The book of Romans, chapter 8, from verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. For as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, though, him who through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the presence nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could almost just go home, couldn't we? Uh, That's a fantastic part of the Bible. Uh, But we're going to have a look at it together. And uh, let's ask God to help us understand it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through it. We thank you, Lord, that as we look at Romans chapter 8 today, Lord, that you will speak to us uh, through this passage. Help us, Lord, to understand it. Uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit will apply it into our lives and that, Lord, we will go away from here being people who are changed by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's a great part of the Bible, isn't it? And that verse, Romans 8.28, uh, is probably one of the most well-known parts of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, people have had it written on their doors. Uh, there have been things that have been held onto by many people over the ages, especially during times of difficulty and suffering. Uh, people have found it to be the one verse to hold their life on. And it's a great verse, isn't it? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Some people have said it's a pillow to rest our lives on. 
Jack. Yeah. Yeah. It's holding them, isn't it? Uh, there's an actual a DVD or a CD that you gave me once of that uh, uh, songs and so forth for the outback. And Romans 8:28 is the verse that they use as being part of that, uh, because it is, isn't it? Because it's, uh, it's something that holds to us uh, through all times and all circumstances and all situations. As I said some people say it's like a pillow to rest our head on. Uh, it's what we can trust God in. Uh, but what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean for us? What does it actually mean that God works out all things for the good of those who love him? About eight years ago, there's a guy who came to town from the Big Smoke, from Sydney. And when he came to town, he brought this little catchphrase with him. And uh, whenever you spoke to him, he would say, it's all good. Now, it's caught on, hasn't it? It's everywhere. If you talk to people now, people say, oh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, what he was saying by that was that whatever was going on around him at the time, no, it's all good. Things are going okay. Things are all right. Uh, well, in some senses, he could have probably taken it from Romans chapter 8. But what Paul is saying to us here uh, is that it's all for good. Not that just everything's good, but it's all for good. You see, all good is a little bit of a sugar coating across it, isn't it? Because life isn't all good. There is bad stuff that happens in this world. This world is a broken world. And Paul, who writes, writes Romans uh, to the Romans, knows that himself personally. And he writes that to the Romans. If you go back just a little bit and have a look at what he says in verses 18 through there, you'll see that he, Paul talks about how this world that we live in groans. He says that the world around us groans. It feels the pain of a broken world. Uh, now, whatever you think of climate change and the effects of it or how we've had an impact or not had an impact on it, whatever you look, when you look around the world, though, you see that the world is broken, don't you? You see that this world is not as good as it should be. As Jack said, this verse is hanging on to the farmers out west because they look at their crops. One minute they're in drought, the next minute they're in flood and it just gets destroyed one way or the other. Uh, you have a look around here at the moment, the amount of rain that we have. The guys I'm imagining trying to get into the cane or thinking about trying to get into the cane soon uh, are saying there's no way we can get on those fields. This world is broken and it groans. It feels the pain. Paul then goes on and says that we feel that pain. Not only is the world around it broken, but you and I are broken. Our relationships are broken. We live in a world where there's disease. You can't walk down the street these days without hearing about someone who's got cancer. Can you? The big C. It's hitting people everywhere. I don't know whether it's just becoming more prolific or whether it's just being more diagnosed or whatever it was, but people are sick, aren't they? You have a look at our term for the last term and have a look at some of the families in our church and see the amount of times they've just been hit one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other of sickness. And they're just struggling. This world groans. We groan. And then Paul comes after that, after saying that this world groans, and then says this amazing verse. Stunning, isn't it, really? I mean, how can he say that? He says, this world is just absolute garbage, guys. But look at what's happening in it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God, through both the difficult and the good, is working out his good across the whole lot of it. 
That's hard to work out sometimes, isn't it? And we're going to look out in a minute what that good is. But he says he's done it and he puts his money where his mouth is because God shows that. If you go through the Bible, if you read any one of the major characters in the Bible, it looks like disaster's about to hit, but yet God turns it. Have a look at Noah. Looks like the world's going to be completely wiped out, but he saves his family through the ark. Look at Joseph in Genesis. He gets sold by his brothers to travelling pagans who are just travelling around the place. Imagine that, guys. Your brothers and your sisters sell you. He gets taken in and he becomes really popular with Potiphar and uh, he gets a good job and then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and then he gets accused of rape and then he's in jail for 17 years. And then he gets out of that because he interprets a dream and then he becomes second in charge of the whole of Egypt and when a drought comes, he's the one who's in charge, his family comes along and who do they have to bow before? It's Joseph. What does Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Look at Jonah. Uh, Look at Job. Look at David. Look at Jesus. Who would have ever thought that the saviour of the world was going to be nailed to a tree? Standing there. Could you imagine the disciples are standing there looking up. This guy they've given three years to. They're looking up to it and they go, Mate, if this is what it's about, we're gone. No wonder they run off. No wonder they go and hide. But in one of the greatest tragedies that the world has ever seen, God transforms into the greatest victory that eternity has ever seen. It's amazing, isn't it? And you and I can tell in our own lives that God does that. You might be in the middle of a really dark patch at the moment, but you can still feel God's hand in it and God will bring about good within it. He promises that. Uh, There was a survey done on a really large church in America just recently and it was a survey that had, uh, the question was, when have you grown the most in your Christian walk, in your Christian life? And there were a number of different categories there for it. Uh, When you've been in Bible study, when you've been at a church service, when you've been a number of different other ones. And it was overwhelmingly the highest rated one for where people grew the most was during suffering, during trials. Because there God really grabs us and holds us, doesn't he? You see, God works the good for all those that love him. He will turn it. He has done it. He will do it. And he'll continue to do it. But you've got to ask your question, well, what is the good? Does the good actually mean that I get out of my suffering? Does the good mean that I'm actually not going to be sick? Does the good mean that I'm going to be healthy, wealthy and prosperous for the rest of my life? We'll have a look at it in just a second. But the first question we need to ask is who is it for? Because you see, this isn't for everybody. This promise isn't for the whole world. What does he say? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Do you see that? It's not for the whole world. God doesn't say that everything out there in this whole world is actually working for good. He says that the stuff that's out there is working for the good for who? For those who love him and be called by him. He says for those who love Jesus, 
Romans, the rest of the whole of Romans 1 to 8 is basically saying that we are completely stuffed by ourselves. We need Jesus. If we put our trust in him, then we are his forever. That's for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We need to put our trust in Jesus. And when we put our trust in Jesus, then Paul says to us that God says to us that everything that happens for you and I is going to work out for our good. But for the rest of the world, that's not the case. It's those who love and put their trust in Jesus that this promise is for. Now, I want to challenge you, I suppose. Is one is, if you do and have put your trust in Jesus, then hold on to this promise. If you haven't, then have a think about putting your trust in Jesus because this can be yours. But it's not only those who put their love in Jesus and put their trust in Jesus, it's those who have been called by God himself Look what he says then. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Uh, you see, it's not just that God, uh, for those that love Jesus, but it's those that God has loved and called to himself. Uh, this is where this whole doctrine of predestination comes in. Uh, and uh, what happens first? Do we make a choice for God or does God make a choice for us? It's pretty clear from this passage, isn't it? God chooses us first and then we hold on to him. Uh, the foreknowledge that, God, that uh, Paul's talking about here is about the fact that God knows us and has a relationship with us already. Our foreknowledge is not just that he sees the future, but he actually is involved in the future and he actually grabs us before that. Uh, Ephesians 1 tells us that he known us before the even creation of the world. Uh, some people think, because uh, the knowledge or knowing in the Bible is more than just here. It's actually relational. That God's already in relationship with us in that sense. And then he says he's predestined. He's actually grabbed us and then we grab him. Uh, the way that I like to put this is, uh, it's like this, uh, even on by ourselves, we would never grab God. We would never take him up. Uh, sin has impacted us so much that we won't choose him. What God does in his love for us, for you and I, he grabs us and holds on to us. And then we recognise that and we grab hold of him. So there's still response involved. There's still us being part of it. But God grabs us first. And can I tell you, without going into all detail about how that's worked out in the whole of the Bible, but can I tell you that is probably one of the most beautiful doctrines of the Bible ever. Because if it's not that way, God loving you and God working out his purposes in you and me is determined all on me and my love for God. And you know what that's like? That's like building a a huge mountain on top of a marshmallow. If my love for God, if my relationship with him is determined upon my pathetic, whimsical, up and down, all over the place love for God, then I'm cactus, guys. There's no way I can hold on to him. But it's not. It's determined on him. He's loved us. He's grabbed us. And then we hold on to him. Now, that's worth thinking about, isn't it? That's a big doctrine to think through and a big thing to be contemplating. But that's what this promise is about. Because our promises aren't based on you and I. They're not based on our feeble decisions. They're based on God's love for us and his decision for us. And then we respond to him by loving him in return. So that's what these promises are. They are for people who love God, who God has called, who God has foreknown, who God has predestined, who God has brought in to his family. And then we find out, well, what is the good? What is that good? I said before, is it the health, wealth and prosperity? Is it that I'm not going to be sick anymore? Well, no, look what it says. 
For those in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You see, the ultimate good for you and I who love Jesus is to be conformed to be like Jesus. You see, there's two goods, uh, I think, that are here. One is that, that we are to be conformed like Jesus and one that we may never, ever know because we don't have the big picture. But what Paul is saying to us here is that everything that happens to you and I is an opportunity for you and I to become more like Jesus. Because what God desires of you and I to be is to be conformed to his likeness, to have his character. In a sense, it's like that we are to be poured in like a mould into Jesus and then pressed out like him, not to go around wearing a beard and looking Jewish with sandals, but to go around with his character so that his spirit, the fruit of the spirit is evident, that we shine the light of Jesus, that song that we sang with the kids, that we shine for Jesus in the world. We can only shine for Jesus in the world when we are conformed to his character. And God does that through a whole lot of circumstances and situations that we can't even possibly comprehend. Do you know that if you love him, everything that comes your way is a chance for you to be more like Jesus. It's an opportunity that God wants to grow you to be more like him, to be conformed to be more like what he is like. Do you know one of the scariest things I think that ever happens to uh, us as we grow up is that we actually do look a bit like and become a bit like our parents. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? Uh, as parents, we think, oh, that's great. As kids, we think, oh, no! I don't want to be like them. Uh, and some of those things happen, don't they? Uh, I know that there is sometimes when my tone is like my father's or my temper is like my mother's. Uh, husbands, just a little quick of marriage advice here and amongst of all this, never, never, ever... Tell your wife that they're exactly like their mother. Don't do it. Disaster. Don't go there. But wouldn't it be good if we could tell each other that you're just like Jesus there. We want to be conformed to him. And every circumstance that comes our way is an opportunity for that. When the kids are crying in the middle of the night at 3am, there's an opportunity not to throw them out the window, but to love them like Jesus would. When you're on the bowls rink and you're letting down the bowls and there's a person beside you that just drives you bonkers, there's an opportunity for you to be conformed like Jesus. When you're walking down the street and someone comes up to you and says, hey, have you heard the latest gossip about such and such? There's an opportunity for you to become like Jesus. When you're at home and you're struggling and you're feeling sick and you've got a man cold, like I had this week, there's an opportunity for us blokes to become like Jesus. When you're struggling in a relationship, when you're struggling with the world that's going on around you, there's an opportunity for us to become more like Jesus. It changes your perspective, doesn't it? So when things come your way now, don't think, oh no, that's the worst possible. Think, how can I become more like Jesus in this? When you're really struggling and amongst all this stuff, I know it's hard and, and I'll tell you there's been some tough stuff happening amongst our family, you, in the last couple of months. But here's an opportunity, guys, for us to become more like Jesus. That is in it and that's us as a family as we love one another within that. You see, that's the ultimate good. 
That's what Paul's saying here. That's what's good for us. And the other thing is we may not see the ultimate good either in some ways because it could be a long way down the track. It may be years down the track. It even might even be outside of our time frame. You see, God actually sees the whole tapestry, doesn't he? You know, when you see a tapestry and you put it together, you look at the back and it's just all these strings going all over the place and we look at it and we think, oh man, life is a mess. Whereas God's got not only that part in his control, but he's got the front part too. He sees the whole completed tapestry. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything in between. God has got it sorted. Because that's what he says, doesn't he? Look, have a look at what he says in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he calls, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God has got the beginning, the middle, the end, the whole lot sorted. And we can trust him in that. So what then? So what? What does that mean for you and I today? Well, I don't know about you, but this is just one of the greatest passages ever. It's just to hang your life on, isn't it? in the middle of stuff that's going crazy around you, just delve into this. Let God minister to you through it. Look for what God's going to do with you through it and know that he's got your good to become like Jesus as part of it. Be assured of that. Trust in that. Stand in that. Appreciate that. Enjoy that. Let that change your thinking. Let that change how you live that out. And live it out. Because not only is God for you, but God has got it all sorted and he's not going to let anything come against you that he can't handle and that you can't handle because God has won the victory. Look at what he says here. What then shall we say in verse 31? Shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who is against us? If you want anyone on your side, you want God. Look, on Wednesday night, I don't care whether Brisbane win or not, though they will, but you know, Queensland win, if they wanted someone on their side, they want God on their side. If you want someone on your side, you want God on your side. And if you trust and believe Jesus, he is on your side. Let that sink in. Appreciate that. Do you know that? He's on your side. Go down further in that passage and you'll see it's this wonderful passage. Because he didn't even spare his own son in verse 32, but gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against us? No one. Who can condemn us? No one. What we say then? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one. And verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors because of God. And his love for us in Jesus. And all things work out for the good of those who love him. Someone once said that life is a commodity to be spent. I think what God tells us this morning is life is a gift to be lived. We're not just to cruise through life and just safely make our way through to the end. He says to live it. Sold out for him because he's for you. He's given his life in Jesus for you. There is nothing that can conquer you. Don't just make your way through life slowly for him. Go full steam at it. That's what Paul wants to say to the Romans. That's what he wants to say to you and I this morning. 
He wants you to see a person that you live your life to the full, that you come screaming into the end of your life, stick a handbrake on, slide in sideways, jump out of the door and go, wow, what a ride. Because God is for me. He's conquered all things. He has given me Jesus. He wants to conform me to Jesus. Even in the worst parts of my life, God was for me. He held me because he loved me and gave his son for me and grabbed hold of me even when I wouldn't grab hold of him. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, there's just so much more in that passage we could uh, delve into and pull apart but yet Lord just in this brief time that we've had we want to thank you for your word we want to thank you for your truth we want to thank you Lord uh, that you have loved us and called us and made us your own that in you Lord nothing can come against us that we are more than conquerors in you Lord that you are with us And that, Lord, everything that comes our way will ultimately work out for our good so that we become more and more like your son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, let's hold on to that truth. Help us by your spirit, Lord, to hold on to that truth and to live that truth, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.